0: I'm once again for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen.
1: Good morning, gentlemen.
0: Good morning. So we got plenty to talk about today. It is the 23rd of January, 2021. Of course, uh, the great Henry Aaron passed away yesterday. So certainly we're going to be talking about that and all kinds of stuff going on really across the board. NFL, college basketball, and lots of other things we could talk about today too. NHL season's kicked off, so on and so forth. So we got lots and lots to get to on this edition of the Sports Emporium. So I wanted to start today with uh, talking about Hank Aaron and uh, his passing away. Um, Just talk about iconic, again, when it comes to sports. And we've we've had this conversation before when Muhammad Ali passed away and others, you know, who were on that level. And Hank Aaron is one of those people who's on that level uh, in terms of baseball. His stats are just dumbfounding. Um, you know, 755 career home runs, which is still ranks, uh, second all time, um, never hit more than 44 home runs in a season, uh, 25 time all-star, he won golden gloves, he won batting titles, uh, he was a base stealing threat, um, I mean, just ridiculous, almost 2300 RBI, which blows away pretty much everyone else, um. Just ridiculous numbers, but much more importantly than that, what an ambassador for the game, what a kind human being, and a guy who also had to f- continue to fight through um, the racial strife that was still going on throughout his career. His He started in the majors in 1954. That's not that long after Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby, you know, broke the, the color barrier in baseball. And even leading up to his um, his monumental 715th home run, which is, you know, when he passed Babe Ruth for number one all time, those things were still going on. This is 1973, just kind of setting the stage a little bit for, we're going to play about two minutes of the Vin Scully call uh, for his 715th home run. And just, just to set the stage for it, um, Aaron had finished the prior season with 713 home runs Uh, So obviously there was a lot of media frenzy. And then in the off season, uh, Aaron was was constantly, you know, bombarded as you would expect. Oh, you know, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? But at the same time he was also constantly bombarded with death threats, hate mail, um, just some really disgusting things. And the letters are actually uh, at the hall of fame in Cooperstown. And if you're interested, you can, you can find them online. I won't, utter any of what they say here but he was going through this um you know this guy from mobile Alabama uh playing for a team in the deep south and um going through these things even almost 30 years after the color barrier had been broken in baseball and so all this stress all of these things you know just on the shoulders of this man who was super quiet um stone-faced and what have you and then here you have this moment where he finally hits that iconic home run and um so i'll go ahead and play this real quick and then um just want to kind of talk about a little bit and i also have to say before i play it vin scully is so amazing um best broadcast sports broadcaster probably of all time and the whole clip if you go listen to it there's also i'm not going to play in the interest of time the whole thing but he just the way he draws comparisons and what have you is is pretty awesome
2: one ball and no strikes aaron waiting the outfield deep and straight away Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Butner goes back to the fence. It is gone. the state of Georgia what a marvelous moment for the country in the world a black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol and it is a great moment for all of us and particularly for Henry Aaron who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves but by his father and mother He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. As Aaron circled the bases, the Dodgers on the infield shook his hand, and that was a memorable moment. Aaron is being mobbed by photographers, he is holding his right hand high in the air. And for the first time in a long time, that poker face of Aaron shows the tremendous strain and relief of what it must have been like to live with for the past several months. It is over. At 10 minutes after 9 in Atlanta, Georgia, Henry Aaron has eclipsed the mark set by Babe Ruth.
0: So just, um, just a, an incredible moment for a lot of different reasons, you know, and I just thought it, it bared uh, reminding as we continue to, you know, um, live in a world that continues to have its own problems, um, that progress is incremental. And this was just another bit of that progress, you know, that transcended just a sports record. Um, you know, Scully did go on to talk about the, the the very big differences between Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. You know, uh, Babe Ruth it being, I think he said something enormous in his appetites, which I think is a great uh, great way of saying it. Whereas Aaron was this, you know, soft spoken, um, you know, person. But anyway, um, I just thought it really merited. having that conversation because it really goes into other things that we can talk about, Um, you know, and and some of the things might be talking about uh, the lack of, you know, black coaches being hired or GMs being hired in the NFL. It could be um, the fact that um, Kimberly Ng is the first woman in a major position in any sports franchise as the GM of the Marlins. We can talk about the Jared Porters of the world who was fired by the Mets because of his stalking of a reporter from years prior. It's all part of the, the, the fabric of conversations that I think are worth having um, and how sports can actually help advance causes. It's not just the game. It's not just the... <sighs> the entertainment value, there is something more to it. And not that I want to hold athletes up on a higher pedestal than they deserve, but sports as a whole are such an important part societally for us, they can help advance causes. And so I will step down off of my soapbox now and let you guys talk.
1: Real quickly, three things uh, that come to mind. One, um, when we give it to uh, Hank Aaron, Steve Stone, a former color broadcaster for the uh, commentator for uh, the Cubs, uh, his quote in his tweet was, uh, Henry Aaron was a wonderful competitor and a true gentleman. Quiet confidence comes to mind, and he had certain dignity that you can't teach, uh, and he was what a professional should be. I, I don't think uh, words could summarize Hank Aaron any better th- than that. Um, the general direction that we're going, uh, you know, I think one, one great thing that's going on, and I think you, you can't help but uh, uh, believe that uh, Hank Aaron was part of it, is the uh, project of making sure that the Negro League uh, stacks are going to be included in, in career. That That is an ongoing effort, and we'll probably have uh, – uh, um, you know, that effort will be ongoing for quite a period of time. Uh, And, and, you know, in, in, in general, you know, unfortunately, uh, Hank Aaron's um, uh, passing uh, really signifies what has really been uh, an absolutely awful year for baseball hall of famers. Uh, When you consider Hank Aaron, Bob Gibson, uh, Joe Morgan, uh, we, we, and um, uh, uh, Lou Brock, uh, Don Sutton, uh, Negro, uh, Whitey Ford, uh, Tom Seaver, uh, along with uh, Tommy Lasorda, and of course, we talked. To, we we have talked about people uh, quite a bit uh, on this show. And one person that we had we did talk about almost a year ago was LK Line. Uh, and uh, when you really try to wrap your mind around what what has happened, even just in the last year to baseball, all, all you can do is just kind of, kind of just probably it's best to sit silently and just go okay, the, the, and just kind of absorb it is the best way to really um, um, maintain your sanity, if you will. So.
0: Yeah, very true. Um, it, it, it's a whole era of players that have passed away. You know, I mean, that, that's, you, you just listed a whole bunch of names of guys who were the cream yes. of the crop from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I mean, that's just an era of, and, and a great era for baseball. Um, and we can only hope that you know the players of today the players of yesterday continue to carry that same legacy forward because you're talking about a bunch of guys there too who either became coaches after their playing career became commentators after their playing career worked in front offices continued to advocate for the game of baseball many of those players and the only way the game continues forward is if that continues baseball is steeped in tradition now there are some really awful traditions in there too but um it's steeped in tradition so we can only hope like i said that we continue to see that sort of thing so yep. i think you know one of the things that um it, it would be completely and utterly wrong to single out baseball for this um, but you know we've seen quite a bit in terms of stories not dissimilar to the Jared Porter one so the GM of the Mets oh go ahead
3: oh, yeah no sorry I, I well, just want to weigh in really brief a couple of things on the Aaron thing you know that strike me is in, Adam, you mentioned this about Babe Ruth I mean considering what Mantle and Maris went through just chasing his single season record and That's the kind true. of scrutiny that they faced you know not uh, you know, tw- about 20 years roughly prior to, you know, Aaron breaking the or less than that, uh, Aaron breaking the record, you know, for him to get that kind of reception certainly was, I think makes that Scully call even more important because both Mantle and Maris went through, especially Maris, you know, went through quite the ringer just trying to chase down that record, that single season
0: record. Great point.
3: The other thing about Aaron though, that I think is, is important to and, and Jackie Robinson too. It's like, you know, sports can be a vehicle for that, but only if it's done in a way that's acceptable to the, the average sports fan. Because at the same time that Aaron was playing, so was Kirk Flood, who was demonized and vilified for trying to seek his own value. You know, and so it's, you know, the the, the deferential the nature of Hank Aaron's personality, more deferential, quiet-spoken, in many ways, Jackie Robinson, the same. It's, it's okay then, but Kurt Flood, Colin Kaepernick, it's not okay. And so, you know, I still think there are there are opportunities for sports to be a vehicle, but it doesn't seem like it's on the terms of those that are seeking something different, but rather the terms of those that are watching.
0: That's an interesting point. Um, and, and a true point, um, it really does depend on what reaction, um, whatever whatever the action is, gets. Um, and I guess at the time, people were ready for Hank Aaron to take that, well, the majority of people were ready for him to take that, where, yeah, Kurt Flood situation was obviously very different. Um but you know that's a great point, and again, I think it goes back to the the thought that that change is incremental, um, right? Whether that's good or not, or fair or not, is regardless. Um, it yeah. is what it
3: is. Yeah, and 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 you know, I'm not trying to put either Kurt Flood or Colin Kaepernick next to Hank Aaron necessarily, but it is the wildly different reactions, um, great. and then just just the last thing and this is somewhat lighthearted a little bit more lighthearted but just based demonstrating baseball's utter ridiculousness is that hank Aaron only got 97.2 percent of the whole world.
0: here he's
3: like for the love of god like just baseball being baseball <laughs>
0: well when we talk about uh ridiculousness in baseball's traditions um, one of the traditions was, of course, that no one can receive a hundred percent ballots on right. their first vote, and I think that was largely the the reasoning behind, you know, Aaron not uh, not getting a hundred percent. Although there may have been more, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate reasons for it, but yeah, that um,
3: just b- baseball's clown car.
0: Seriously, that's just obscene. But it is what it is. And just keep rolling along. Just keep rolling along. And you know, I think it's a lot too, Um, not just how the public sees something, um, but it's also how the media portray it. Um, And it's also how the League, Handles these sort of situations. Um, I mean, think about this. I mean, think about Kurt Flood. Okay, the league was definitely not happy with him. um And so that absolutely had something to do with this. Think about Kaepernick. The league was definitely not happy with him. And so the way that got portrayed, I mean, they absolutely were helping to control those narratives. I mean, there's a lot of money tied up right there. And anybody who potentially threatens that way outweighs what's right and wrong. I mean, that's, that's just one of the... That's a
3: great point. That's a really great top. point. Yeah, it's the role of the league. And yeah, that's a great point.
0: And hopefully we can continue to push those leagues in the right direction. And um, I would say current leadership of the leagues does not, uh, does not bode well for that. But it is more than just the commissioners, truthfully.
1: Wow, well, and I mean, and and yeah, I mean, Major League Baseball have all have done an absolutely terrible job of promoting their product. Uh, I mean, when when basically about ninety-five percent of people in this country wouldn't know Mike Trout if he came up to sell brushes at your house, uh, um, you know, sure. that, that that's a real problem, right? I mean, and and you know, same thing. I mean, NHL is going to run into a real problem with the announcement yesterday. The NBC Sports. Uh, um, NBC Sports Network is going away, and now yep. all of a sudden they're going to find themselves playing hockey games in USA, of all things. I okay? it's just really, really just a, a lack of self awareness, uh, in these leagues for the most part, and just in general in marketing, what along some of the issues that we just uh covered here. So,
0: yep, 100% true. Um, but you know what I was saying earlier in terms of, you know, some incremental progress that has been made is in, you know, the treatment of women in the sports arena. And, you know, and that's where this Jared Porter story comes in. Um, young executive rising through the ranks. And, and there's quite a lot of that in, in baseball where these guys right out of college, get an internship, get a, get in. And then, by the time they're in their mid-30s, they're VPs and general managers and what have you, uh, high-ranking folks within these organizations, which is a definite departure from the way it used to be, which was much more of, you know, the, the old guy's network. Um, but uh, what we've seen is some bad behavior that hasn't been tolerated, and that at least is a, is a positive thing. Um And, you know, Porter, when the text messages came out that he had texted this reporter 60-plus times without a response, sent all kinds of uh, lewd pictures and things of that nature, um, you know, the Mets at least acted swiftly. And once they validated the story, we're like, okay, that's that. And the Astros, in in any rare moment of, of... uh, doing the right thing, you know, a few years ago when their assistant GM, that was uh, Brandon Tobman, you know, he was mocking female reporters uh, because they were asking questions about them um, trading for Marcel Ozuna, who was on a 75 game suspension for domestic abuse. And he was mocking them and saying how great it was that they went out and got this guy and called them some derogatory names. And the Astros immediate response was to defend him. And they immediately published a report or a uh, statement saying, oh, he would never do that. Well, then when a whole bunch of other reporters, male reporters, came forward and said, no, 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 we, we, we were there too. We heard it. The Astros backpedaled, fired him, and moved on. Um, but that's what it – these are the incremental changes. You know, these are the things where – in this case, the media held – the Astros accountable you know and what a crazy what a crazy world we're in you know think about Brett Favre you know we we heard about his stories of uh sending uh, shall we say intimate photos of himself to various reporters that was what he did that is how, how often does that go on you know I, I follow a reporter on Twitter, uh, Emily Walden, who is a uh, minor league uh, reporter. She covers Tigers and a few other teams. It's uh, so deep into the minors. And she talks about one of the things she really appreciated about Ron Gardenhire was the fact that whenever he heard a player make a comment to her that was inappropriate, he would chastise that person right then and right there, and that really tells you two things. One is that I mean, she was you know saying how good of a guy Gardenhire was, and that was really great to hear that, that he was a, a good guy. But number two, <laughs> so it's that commonplace that players make those kind of remarks that that is, and and Gardenhire is differentiated because he actually. Held people accountable to that. What does that say about the state of the players in the game?
3: Yeah, you know, it's this is a systemic problem. Um, and the same issue at the heart of this, and that's far beyond just baseball, societally is, you know, one, who, who's in positions of power. And this is the same conversation we'll have when we talk about NFL black coaches who gets access to opportunity. Um, and then do, you, uh, is there, you know, you know like with, with the bar being so low with garden hair, like just chastising someone for saying something totally inappropriate is now a high bar, whereas now something to be commended and whether owners or people in power structures are actively trying to dismantle things like misogyny, or they just aren't even aware of it enough to know to try to do that. That's what keeps the system in place. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, there's a spectrum from, Garden hire actively trying to, 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 you know, to call out the inappropriateness to owners, you know, that are totally unaware or unoblivious, don't care, and to owners that may participate and partake in the very same misogyny. And so you've got that spectrum you're dealing with. Um, yep. But you know, like most systems, you know, if uh, if there is a majority of one type of thing, person, entity that controls all the power. Tends the system tends to operate more who it was designed for.
1: Mm-hmm. It, and really the, the the most disappointing thing is we're gonna have this conver- we are having this conversation now. We are talking about it. We we and and, and so we're three uh, uh white gentlemen who are you know basically very much criticizing this sort of in my mind bizarre behavior that's being portrayed by other quote unquote gentlemen, right? But the, but my concern above anything else is that we're going to continue having this conversation until yeah. baseball, until corporate America, until all these different sports leagues really start taking this seriously with decisive action. Now, Steve Cohen, uh, the mech uh, owner took decisive action once he found out within 24 hours i i think it was 24 hours i mean maybe he he knew it about it before then but but he he made a very decisive decision to go you know what this is not how the mech are going to operate and we're we're going to take care of this uh, another reporter was definitely following this and really doing a nice job of really uh um Portraying how widespread this is it was uh, Britt Garoli from the uh, Athletic, who has been covering uh, the Orioles and uh, um, and then the Nationals. She's actually a a, a, a Detroiter. Um, mm-hmm. um, by, by um, natively from Michigan State and, and, and really it, it is an epidemic and really if you're Rob Manfred and if you're baseball uh, maybe this is you know so, someone needs to figure out what they're going to do to resolve this immediately and figure out how they're going to carry forward to uh, do their best to eliminate. The problem is they're not and that's a real problem.
0: Yeah and I
3: think Adam you make the absolute most critical point about where the change is driven from. That's kind of what I was getting at Long-windedly was it's got to come from within the system itself. Yeah, the media is not the correct apparatus to make determinations on if people should or shouldn't were guilty, not guilty. You know, I mean that they it can be a tool to expose and expose in a way that couldn't be done otherwise, like in the case of Harvey Weinstein because he had so much power within his industry, but. The corporations, the teams, have to take ownership for being decisive because they're the ones that are best positioned to one, stop it up front, and two, investigate it in the most thorough way. They've got to take the ownership.
0: Hundred percent true.
1: And I don't think they will. I mean, that's not my 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 takeaway. Is that uh...
0: it's hard to argue with you um they're not
3: uh, they're not incentivized to because none of them are victims of it and that's again also what i was saying is they're all a bunch of white men in power and so they're not ever victims of something so they don't understand the urgency for it
0: and that's where it 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 really comes down to but it's also i think while while all of that is true it is also incumbent upon us to have these conversations too because the more conversations that happen Mm -hmm the more there is pressure on those higher levels, the more we might change the opinion of the next person to get into the front office, who in 20 years will be running that organization. And that is also how incremental change happens. So it's, it's, you know, it is what it is, unfortunately, um, and is a tale as old as human history. Um, But, we just keep bringing it to the light, and I think maybe maybe we've finally gotten to the point where at the very least, we can collectively, I mean, there's always exceptions, but we can collectively agree that treating other people like garbage is not okay. Can we at least, regardless of who they are, let's not be assholes, for, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I think... I mean, can, can we at least get behind that train? You know, and the answer is no, currently. But I think, thankfully, more and more people are getting on that train of, you know, why? Why, why do we have to be like this? It's not exciting.
1: I think it is, you know, and I think when you look at it from a, a longer context, if you will, is there improvement? Absolutely. Let's not, you know, but, but is there a long way to go? Absolutely. And I think that's where it's like you gotta and and I mean I think we all agree. Any of it going on is not tolerable. It's not acceptable, right? But but the point is is that is there progress slowly being made? Yes. Is it fast enough? No. And what needs to be done in order to speed it up? And I think that's yeah. the biggest problem there. So
0: here, here. So let's talk about the NFL real quick and just you know, the, the, the lack of, you know, black coaches and GMs, because that is, you know, one of the things we've, we've mentioned here. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts along those same lines. Like what's, what's going on here? Because this is a sport um, where there's far more black players than there are in baseball, for example. Um, And so you have a much bigger pool of individuals to go up into the coaching and front office ranks than you do in baseball. Um, so there is a difference there. So I, I did want to kind of talk about that as well.
3: Yeah. You know, I'll start by referencing the last point, just about who, you know, controls power tends to surround themselves with people of a similar, a similar mindset, a similar uh, demographic and representation. So that's always going to be a systemic challenge. But I think, Football has, you know, other layers of challenges. And one of them is cult of personality. And, you know, and football is just obsessed with these personalities. And, you know, Adam has oftentimes, you know, here and there, you know, made remarks about like a guy like Cliff Kingsbury. Like how? You know, a guy who didn't even have a winning record in college somehow got a head coaching job, you know? And it's just these bizarre cult of personalities that, that produce other, you know, Un, uh, un, you, know, you know poorly qualified candidates, like Sean McVay has a coaching tree. Like Sean McVay, in and of itself, he's obviously has a, a strong record. He's made the playoffs. You know, he's he's doing well for himself. All all the best to Sean McVay, but he has two guys that coach under him for one year that now have had coaching jobs. What? Dan Campbell never been a coordinator has a head coaching job. What? That's like Cliff Kingsbury. You know, five games under five hundred in college as a head coaching it is It is, it's just these cult of personalities and and it's just, it's pervasive in football. You know, guys like Matt Patricia can get a job. Where did he go? He went crawling back to daddy uh, New England, you know, to go be their, uh, you know, quality control coach or whatever job Dollar Track will give them. You know, it's just, it, it truly is, it really truly, in my opinion, unique to football. In baseball, in basketball, and in hockey, the. This idea of this this type of coach, this cult of personality type of coach, just does not exist. It, it, it's really bizarre.
1: No, I and I mean going back to football, I mean, uh, and specifically to this latest uh, hiring uh, uh, wave that we've had, um, it, it is rather remarkable that you know we, we did not have a black coach that got hired, right? I mean, and and uh, um, now, m- mind you, I think right now, um, you know, we're, we're just, I mean, quote unquote, edge of our seats with the Houston Texans head coaching job, which quite honestly, I wouldn't wish on anyone, even my worst enemy, <laughs> uh, for many, Ooh. many reasons, to the point where I, I you know, to me, I mean, at the NFL was a strong institution, they would go ahead and tell the ownership down in the, the McNair ownership down in Houston to basically sell the team. We need to move on. We need a, a complete recycling of your culture. Yeah. That, that's what the NFL should do. Um, but they will not. Um, and you know, and, and especially, you know, when you consider the coaches that are available, uh, Todd bold, uh, uh, Byron Leftwich, Leslie Frazier, um, you know, and, and of course, uh, Eric Bienem, who are just oh by the way, all coordinators of uh, the the uh, winning you know teams that are playing this weekend. Uh, I I think those are all the black coaches. I, if I missed any, by all means, uh, correct me. Um, but but when you're looking at that. and and just shaking your head, especially, I mean, you're you're looking at this uh, uh, Houston situation where they're uh, considering Josh McCown, who's never coached at all. He's never done anything uh, in terms of of, of coaching, and now all of a sudden you're going to consider him for your head coaching uh, position. Uh, You know, know, this goes back, and and part of it's racism. I mean, let's be honest. Part of it is, quite honestly, I just think the NFL ownership and their front office have no clue what they're doing. That that's really, I mean, part part of it, just that. And I, you know, this is the point I make all the time: is that I think the margin between really good football teams in the NFL and really not so good football teams is really razor thin because the parity is rampant because most of these teams don't know what they're doing to begin with. Um, it, it's just it's it's very very mind boggling, um, and um, it, it's uh, and, and it's really kind of sad because to your point Justin this is a league that is is comprised of many many african-american players uh you know black players and 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 for them not to have more front office positions and more uh, um you know more of these things it's just it, it, it's a really real mind-bending situation
0: that it is. I was I was going to ask if Josh McCowan ever completed a pass. I mean, that's probably a little harsh, but
3: um. you know, and the, and the reason why they like Josh McCowan is because he's a character guy, mm-hmm. and he has a it, it, again, it's, it's a personality thing. It's a brand. Owners and GMs are now hiring brands as head coaches, and that and that's the cult. Like that's the like oh I, you know I want a Sean McVay guy, you know, a guy that came like Sean McVay is like my age. Like what? How, he doesn't have a brand. Like, it, it's, just, and, and that, it's that's just
0: insane. One thing I will defend the Lions hiring of Matt Patricia on, at least he was under the most successful uh, coach in NFL history, basically. You know, I mean, at least it wasn't a Sean McVay who has, well, successful – spawned a bunch of head coaches. At least it was a guy who worked in an organization that was a winning organization and had been a winning organization for years and years. Now, as it turns out, it was still a horrendous hiring. Yep. But, you know, it, it, it's not like this. And so let's talk about Dan Campbell, because why on earth is he the Lions head coach? I, I, I really, it's, it's beyond me, because he played a couple years for the Lions, uh, because he's, but I, but I think it, it's... A brand he's a brand it's personality he's got this just crazy intense personality and that is what is is driving this so i think it's right in on your point but i'm curious what you guys think I uh.
1: I think the Dan Campbell hiring came down to a couple of things. One, uh, it's very apparent that, you know, I, I, I think the line, a couple of things happened, let me take a step back. I think the line, uh, what happened was they looked at the Matt Patricia Bob Quinn situation and they go, ugh, that, that was not good. And the thing that they did finally did for the first time in my lifetime is they sat there and they said, we need to own the structure of this organization. So the first thing they went out and, and they did is that they went out and hired And they brought on Chris Spielman. And we can say that was a media thing, a PR thing, but the point being is that I think, again, the same admission that they made when they brought in uh, Bob Quinn and and Matt Patricia is that we do not know what we're doing as an organization. Okay. Because they went to the league the first time, that didn't work out well, obviously. Now they went out and they hired a person that they felt knew the league and knew understanding. and, And then they went ahead and they said, you know what? we're going to make a decision on the structure of the organization we're going to have, which basically the, and, and it's very much a Seattle Seahawks, Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, or, you know, type of where it's going to be a collaborative environment and it's going to be how we, and we do not want anyone, you know, a couple of people running the show, one person running the show, we want it to be an organizational effort. So then when they went out and they, the, you know, they hired Brad Holmes, who, you know, right now he's going to be focused on scouting. That That's all he's going to do because they're going to, uh, Mike Disner going to be held on in order to do all the administrative general manager activities. And they're going to have a couple other, and most likely they're going to bring on a very experienced player personnel person that's been in the league, whether it be Rick Smith or, or, or someone of, of, of that, you know, genre. Now we move on to the coaching thing. And again, when you look at, uh, at Dan Campbell, yes, the, 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 uh, um, uh, the, the press conference was uh, definitely very aggressive. The, the, the one thing I would, you know, put out there, though, uh, you know, there's an article that was on the uh, Twitter and they were talking about how he looked up to Bill Parcells and he was wanting to run the ball. If you go ahead, you read the article, the whole article, a couple of thoughts. One, when you read an article... The, the big thing that Dan Campbell is about is collaboration. He he literally, that's his big thing, and he's picked up that a whole bunch working with Sean Payton, and that that's the one thing. Your thing, in all honesty, and I think that people have to, you know, one, did previously coach with, with the Dolphins, and supposedly everyone that worked with him was very impressed. In fact, many people down there are really, were kind of depressed that he did not get hired on based on that. Your thing? Chris Ballard, general manager of the Indianapolis Colts, basically said in so many words, we would have brought on Dan Campbell as our coach rather than Frank Reich. But because of how the hiring happened, where they had uh, Josh McDaniels, he got brought in, and then, and then he quit. They were very concerned with the lack of play calling potential that Dan Campbell had, uh, and, and that's why they brought on Frank Reich, because at that point, they'd only have to bring on a defensive coordinator. Okay, fine. So, I, the I, again, Dan Campbell, I, you know, I, but again, I, I can go through all these coaches and, you know, and to that point, should they have considered more strongly a Todd Bolger or a Leslie Frazier? I think so. But in general, yeah, it is what it is. So,
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and Dan Campbell could work out. You know, I think what my, my concern is more where this franchise is relative to what they needed. And mm-hmm. – uh, this is where, I, and, I, and I, people, I've had a few people look at me sideways when I said it. This was, I wanted them to hire Marvin Lewis, because Marvin Lewis is a guy who managed to survive ten years with one of the most equally feudal franchises uh, in the NFL, and, and came out with a winning record. Like that's the kind of structural understanding on how to turn around a franchise that they needed, and they needed the same in a GM. And Brad Holmes may be, you know, he's he's well regarded um in player personnel circles but to me I wanted them to go out and get folks that have done this before truly and you know even aside from you know Adam I think he makes some compelling points on Campbell particularly his interim coaching gig with the Dolphins um but they are confronting a total transformation that is needed and they don't have any experience doing that and that's a tough sell for me You know, and that's why whether they'd have paired it, whether they'd gotten out, you know, a guy with previous head coaching experience to pair with a Brad Holmes or had hired a Marvin Lewis, you know, to pair with, you know, Brad, you know, just some kind of a a sense of an understanding how this league works. Because Chris Spielman has never held a position of prominence in the NFL in his entire career. And so he doesn't know how to do it either, not structurally. And neither does Rod Wood. And so you don't have anyone that knows how to turn around a franchise, and the Lions are historically futile. Like it, it's not—it's not, it's not so much a knock on these guys as it is how bad you know we are, and and how far we fell with Quinn and Patricia, who yeah. you know again just trash. And so it, it's you know, it, and then the bigger point, just to underscore it again, is just what it requires of a black coach in order to get a job, like Lovie Smith winning record. You know, you're not going to get a job again. A lot of these guys. Are, Jim Caldwell has a winning record in the league. He was up for the head coach. You know, he's he's still in the in the mix on the coach, on the coaching job. No fan, of, no particular fan of Jim Caldwell, but over Brandon Staley, who was a defensive coordinator for a year, who got well, maybe you know arguably the juiciest head coaching job in football in in LA. Who is Brandon Staley? Right. Like it's it's just insanity. It's just insanity. And then if you look at the guys. That have had long-standing success in the league, Mike Tomlin. I mean, after Bill Belichick, it's Mike Tomlin, Tony Dungy. Like, you know, you know, it, it's just, it's just wild. It's just wild. Yeah,
1: it, it's not that difficult in my mind to win in the NFL, and and the thing is, the owners make it so difficult to to do it based <laughs> on their their absolutely awful decision making. And I, you know, um, you know, and and to 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 your point, uh, Brandon. Marvin Lewis would have definitely been the um, uh, most solid decision that this organization could have made. Right. Um, And, uh, uh, but, but they chose not to do it and there's multiple organizations to my point that I just made that, that had a very good coach to Marvin Lewis to go ahead and and choose from. And and they basically have denied themselves that opportunity, which is just,
3: Because no
0: longer has the the brand that they're looking for. Yeah. So two points I wanted to make out of that. First off, um, you know, I I do think it is, given our conversation, I think it's important to say, you know, Brad Holmes is a black gentleman. And so the Lions, you know, hired, I I don't want to lose that in that conversation, given how harsh we've been on the NFL in general. Um, That part was not, you know a misstep by the Lions in that respect but let's also then talk about because we talked about Spielman last time and one of the things that I said about him was it was reflective of some of the things that the Tigers have done in their effort to rebuild the organization when Mike Illich took over and that was you know going out and hiring former Tigers the al lines, the Willie Hortons now these guys hadn't held high-level positions but as advisors ambassadors whatever else the case may be but the other thing that the Tigers did to turn the organization around um, was to your point Brandon was they brought in Dave Dombrowski who had won a world series who had a pedigree as a good general manager and no he didn't get the Tigers to win a world series but boy did he make some incredible change that's that's true that's a fair point um but they they went out and they got dave Dombrowski. um dave Dombrowski went out and got jim leland um and so in order and the, and the tigers the, the 1990 tigers were and then of course the 2003 tigers were as bad as bad can get so they went out and they got professionals who knew how to rebuild an organization and that is not what the Lions did. And boy, you just have to look down across the street, not even to Comerica Park from your Ford Field offices and go, huh, what'd they do? And and I think it's the same way because look at the Tigers because they still made those mistakes too, bringing Bo Schembechler in when they did. And, and you know, Bo was a great college football coach. Why was he general manager of the Detroit Tigers? It was very confusing, and it didn't work out. Uh, even though he did actually have some good thoughts and ideas, he wasn't the guy to rebuild the organization. And it's the same thing here with the Lions. The Lions don't need to keep trying new things. They need to go out and get somebody who knows what they're doing. And, you know... And they
1: haven't
3: done
0: it since Mariucci. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and I, I mean, if, if, if I were to, you know, I mean, if you were reading the tea leaf, uh, like I think a lot of people were, I mean, they did you know, it appears that they tried their best to, you know, reach out to uh, 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 John Snyder out in Seattle, uh, you know, and I mean, if you believe that that was true, and then Kevin Colbert from uh, a former, um, um, you know, Lions employee uh, now with uh, Pittsburgh, who, quite honestly, may may be the best at what he does in, in the sport. So I think if, if you believe that those reports are true, they did go out and try to get their Dave Dabrowski, Jim Jim, Jim Leland, right? And I mean, outside of just going and, and saying to Bill Belichick, can you, you know, come here, even though, I mean, amazingly enough, now reports are maybe Bill has lost his touch because he went 7-9 this season, which is, you know, wow. Shoot from the hip uh, commentary, uh, uh, even though, quite honestly, I think 7-9 and nine with that deal was incredible, but uh, that's a whole other point. Yeah. Um, I you know, especially with the Lions. I mean the, the Lions to, to the point. I mean, they you know they've had Martin Mayhew here, they've had Jim Caldwell here, and now they've gone ahead and got, you know, uh, Brad Holmes here. So they've done their part for, for diversity. And, and it's a strange time for the NFL because I mean when I look at, at what's happening in the NFL, the New York Jets went out and they hired Robert Salo, who's a uh, you know a lebanese uh, uh, Muslim and and uh, then when you look at the Chicago Bears, they brought on now and as their defensive coordinator an Indian a, a native of India who has come here and now is a defensive coordinator and and even the Indians I know that I've reached out to because I know are, are fighting it just absolutely hilarious. Hilarious at this point that uh, even the Indians are starting to make their uh, inroads into the NFL. So, uh, but you know, uh, you know, if you going to, I, again, I don't know what the answer is for black coaches. Uh, and the only good, good thing I think in my mind is going to be the more coordinators that you bring on, the more chances are. And I mean, the Lions have done their part again. Bring on Aaron Glenn, and and, uh, and then you who's, go ahead and you. Who's
3: just as qualified to be the head coach of this team as Dan Campbell?
1: Uh, and again, he, you know, interviewed for the Jets job and, and, you know, the thought is that he'll probably be a head coach here in the next one to two years. If everything, you know, goes right. I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: No answers. There's no good answers I, to any of them. You
1: it. know, I will give the, the, I think the
3: Aaron Glenn hiring is an outstanding hiring right away. Also, if the rumors are true, that they're going to pluck the defensive line coach from the chargers, that is an outstanding hire. um, I read
1: that, that late last night. That, that sounds like it's not going to happen as of this oh, morning, Phil. That's, so. that's
3: too bad um, because that would have been a quite a haul uh, for them to hire him. He's done an amazing work with the Chargers on their defensive line.
0: So we'll have plenty of Lions things to talk about over the next couple of months as we start to see what the new front office looks like. And then obviously the Lions Super Bowl coming up in April uh, and what the draft looks like. Um, but I know we wanted to get to uh, college fo- or college uh, basketball today as well, um, so I wanted say to.
1: College football?
3: Is, did Alabama score again?
0: Did we need to talk that? They did. And they still did.
3: Devontae Devon Smith catch another seventy-yard
0: touchdown pass. <sighs> yeah. Well, he's still running right now, so he's open. Um, anyway, uh, um, so a little bit of college basketball. Uh, before we get out of here, and uh, we can start with uh, Oakland. Um, and I actually had not checked their game from last night, so uh, I, I, I did not look up last night. So if you guys can take it from here, oh, Brandon's looking.
3: Just, sad. just wild and bizarre, and just such a such a representation of the season. I mean, you know, first and foremost, dominate the first half get utterly destroyed the second half Zion Young goes nine for nine from three Jalen Moore has a triple double I don't know how many players in the history of Oakland basketball have gotten triple doubles something that's extremely difficult to do in college basketball uh regardless of the league you play uh because of the the lack of minutes um you know and almost blowing a game late I mean it just it was just a wild game and an encapsulation of Oakland season and showed the the frustration and the promise uh, of a team that, you know, took Michigan basketball, who we should talk about in a second here, to overtime, you know, on one night, and then can lose to a conference opponent by 30 the next. You know, it's just just wild, just wild stuff. And, uh, you know, they're on a little bit of a winning streak now. Um, had they, you know, they, they would have been doing even better had they not thrown away a couple of games against Green Bay uh, before this current winning streak. and. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to pref- I'm gonna put my same caveat I do every single time. Take out the transfer portal from the equation. I don't see why this team isn't ranked one or two in preseason conference rankings next year. Because Jalen Moore is a returning senior. Jaylen, uh, Zion Young is a returning senior. Rashad Williams is a returning senior. Oladapo's got another year of eligibility. And these two young guys, Parrish and Townsend, have looked dynamite. And so this team all the credit in the world to Greg Campy for flipping the transfer portal on its head and bringing in some good talent here. Cause Jalen Moore is maybe, you know, among the top five best players in the conference at this point. So uh, just, just crazy. Uh, But I'm I'm excited. They are fun to watch. They are fun to watch.
1: Yeah. To to your point, Jalen Moore has been, unbelievable i mean you you could argue that he is the best player in the conference um you know at, at at this point and certainly like you said the top five uh brandon and uh when you're looking at the rest of this you know squad you know, to to your point you know uh young you know coming on out you, you know and really had not i mean you know he, he contributed for sure and then to come out and be nine for nine from from three-point land is because remarkable uh and uh Depot, you're you're absolutely correct uh rashad williams is a bit of a roller coaster this season but you know i mean you know and and when you take a look i mean we when we were on this show the last time we, we we were on january 2nd they had had a new year's day game against Wright state where they lost 90 to 51. that that's awful And then to come out the next day, the the evening of the day that we did the show, and to be able to to, to turn it around uh, and and win by almost 10 points, um, it's just, it it really is, by 10 points, it's quite a statement. And if you would have said on that last show that this team was going to be 500, over 500 in the conference when we did this, I think we would have all got a bit of a chuckle after that game you know recently biased and whatever um and and that's where i think we've got to give a lot of credit to you know um um, coach campion and what he's been able to do and we talked about the job he's done with this team on the last show and we'll continue to reiterate it that they've done a good job of of really the coaching staff of being able to bring in these guys figuring out the pieces and it really does look like they're on an uptick with this, you know, for, for this particular season, which is very good news.
3: Yeah, it's exciting stuff. You know, Cleveland State's clearly the class to the conference. Uh, right now, I think they may still be undefeated uh, in conference play. Um, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, you know, if they can get themselves, you know, two, three games above 500 to close conference play, they're going to get a really good seed and an opportunity to, you uh, to make a run here, so pretty cool. Pretty cool. They have the talent to beat any team in this conference on any day. They've proven
1: it. They lost against Wright State here recently, okay. 80, 85 to forty-nine.
3: Well, so they were due. Yeah, but they were previously undefeated. I thought. I thought they were like
1: no, no, no. Before. You're right. Okay. Yeah, they, they were undefeated in conference play uh, with losses at the beginning the season to Toledo, Ohio, and Ohio State. So,
0: gotcha. So it's uh, more of the wait and see. And again, one of those things, gosh, how many times have we said this, where anything can happen in the league tournament and
1: we'll just. Usually hasn't been. Yeah, usually it's not good. So that's what we're. I mean, I I like the way this season is kind of warming up here is that I think it's on the uptick, which usually is not the case with this team down the stretch. I think
3: particularly in different because of the pandemic, Campy's decision to go through the gauntlet um, really has not been replicated by anyone else this year uh, in the league. And, and even a lot of other mid-majors have not gone through that just because it was too difficult from a scheduling standpoint. And you right. hope that it makes a difference. You hope that they played state competitively for a half makes a difference. You hope that they went life or death with Michigan, who looks unstoppable, you know, makes a difference in, in conference tournament time.
1: You you almost wonder if they played Michigan State again if they'd win. <laughs> Maybe.
0: Talking
3: about a what, team without an identity.
0: So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Spartans and then we'll get to the Wolverines after that. A tale of two very different teams. Um think things aren't really happy in Isoland right now. That's probably an understatement.
1: Uh no, you're absolutely correct. I mean this is a team. In Michigan State, that uh, you know, w- you know, we had talked on this show after that game against uh, Duke at Cameron State uh, Indoor Stadium, where you know that they were absolutely just like they were going to take on the world. And now, I mean, you know, they 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 had wins against Nebraska and Rutgers, and the Rutgers game was actually a good win because Rutgers is, is actually number fifteen in the country. Uh, but then they had a rough loss against Purdue. Uh, but to Brandon's point, when I'm watching uh, the the Michigan State Spartans, th- there is no identity with that team, and th- th- not not the uh, the gusto or the energy that I saw from them uh, last year with Cassius Winston, and uh, um, uh, you know a team that you know many felt like if they were going to play the tournament, at the very least they make the final four, if not win it all. And now it seems like they're 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 a little lost, but. I say all those things, and it seems like it sets up for a, a Tom Izzo special here as we're in the middle of January. Then all of a sudden we go, oh, remember that show we did back in the middle of January when we did not think the Spartans were good? And then they're sitting there in the Final Four again. So I, I, I'm, I'm very careful about making sweeping generalizations about college basketball as a whole, especially Michigan State. Yeah, the,
3: the team, I think that's fair. The team has a lot of talent. And so you, and Tom is a phenomenal coach. Uh, so you can't count him out, but what I will say is that both Notre Dame and Duke, which were their signature wins, the generated Final four talk, have turned out to be pretty bad. You know, Duke is unranked uh, and continues to struggle. Notre Dame is awful. Uh, and so then you just really look at their big 10 conference schedule and they've, they've been you know, battling, you know, Wisconsin and Northwestern have handled them. They handled Rutgers. I think it's those losses, like the, the one they had to Purdue that you mentioned. Those are the ones that give me concern. Um, you know, where they just kind of fumbled the game away. Yeah. Um, and so I think and now, of course, they're stuck in COVID hell um, with players testing, and that's going to you know break the rhythm. On the one hand, that could give an opportunity to regroup. They are very talented. Regroup and rest, assuming that everybody you know makes it out okay and and you know be a force down the stretch of the Big Ten schedule or they could just kind of dissolve a bit and never really find their stride because the Big 10 is ferocious. And, you know, it's the be- it's the best basketball conference in the country. And so they could also find well, themselves coming back to a bunch of teams that have been sharpening their teeth for quite a while.
1: Well, and if you're looking at Michigan State too and, and it's tough to get You know, they're holding them so can check a lot of for based on the fact that they're down the road from Michigan and Ann Arbor, and Michigan has been unbelievable this season, absolutely unbelievable. And you really have to believe at this point that they probably not only are they the class of the conference, they're probably the class of the country at this point. So, uh, and
3: yeah, I mean they are by far the best team east of the Mississippi. You know, Gonzaga has a monster this year. Baylor seems very good. Um, Neither one of those teams have the same kind of conference competition to deal with. Um, But Michigan's right there, and kudos to Jawan Howard. Um, You know, John Beeline, I thought, evened up Michigan State and Michigan in terms of program quality, and Jawan Howard, to his credit, has maintained it. And what people, you know, don't know, a lot of people are talking about, is they have the best recruiting class in the country coming in next year, and so they will lose a lot of talent from this roster, but they are bringing in multiple high-level recruits next year, and they're going to be very dangerous for the next few years. Make a mission to get a basketball
1: school, really.
2: They, they, they really are turning into more of a
3: <laughs> basketball school. I mean, everything that their football program has done wrong, the basketball program has done right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's incredible that they, you know, uh, Juwan Howard did not come in without courtesy of the administration saying that you didn't make the right decision, you didn't do, you know, this and that yep. and so on and so forth, uh, bringing on a guy that really, I mean, you know, we talked about brand earlier, and certainly Juwan Howard was a brand. I mean, there was not, you know, he had done, you know, many years in the NBA, had done as a player and then as assistant coach, but even with the Miami Heat organization, didn't necessarily have any sort of ranking within that crew. That even, uh, you know, coached some summer league games, but uh, wasn't even the first, you know, assistant, you know, on the team. And to be able to come in and do what he's done, which is really – turn uh you know michigan basketball along with just the perception of college basketball on the on, on its end is is really really notable and you know the the you know the most interesting thing right now is and and the most curious thing is how will juan howard do in march that that's really and i think it's in the end that's how what you are really your, your your results will be almost based on that completely
2: so
3: yeah i think a credit to him uh, and the and the, and the team at Michigan, you know, is for who they surrounded him with. Uh, and this goes back to the point I was making about the Lions. They gave Joan Howard Phil Martelli, who has coached upwards of like 1,300 games in college basketball. Right. You know, a guy that, you know, Greg Campy type numbers in terms of the amount of games he's coaching, to have that kind of wisdom and experience next to you on the bench to grow into your job, you know, that's the kind of thing that it can make – Someone that has a high ceiling but not as much experience really uh, fly and prosper, and so I hope you know the Lions can surround some of the folks they've hired in the same way.
1: I and, and I think yep. they I think uh, Dan Campbell has made that comment. They absolutely have to go out and get people that are experienced to surround them to to complement them. So,
0: and that that's going to be key, no doubt yeah. about that. So yeah. the um the fact check department has been hard at work trying to figure out. Uh, the triple-double triple, triple double history, by the way, of Oakland University, but oh, we're wow. very unimpressed with the uh, sports information department. Um, but I will say that this was the first uh, Oakland triple-double in five years. That much I've been able to ascertain. So okay. um, there you go. That That's the, all the excitement I have for you at the moment.
1: Way to go, team.
0: Indeed. Way to go raises for everyone. So and,
3: uh, I just fact checked myself, Phil Martelli has far less games coached than Grand Campy.
0: So I was gonna say uh, um a
3: good three Mm-hmm. Which speaks to how long Greg Campy's been
0: around. well I was gonna say Campy's his numbers are insane. Um and um you know in in the uh interest or in the uh in the vein of the day of the Bernie Sanders memes, there is one of Bernie Sanders and Greg Campy uh, from last night, of Campy sitting on the bench with Bernie, right next to him. It's, it's, it's... <laughs> you just can't get away They've from really,
3: it. really, really had to police and babysit the mics around him this year. Oh, ha-
0: because well, you don't yeah.
3: Know, like, the ambient crowd noise uh, to, to kind of block him out because lots of screams. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, if you've ever sat anywhere near Greg Campy for a basketball game, um, don't bring children. Um,
1: I I I tried to impress upon someone I knew in the Oh no, we want to be by the bench. I said, I I don't think you want to be by the bench. Oh no, no, we we do. Okay, well then after the game, I can't believe. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm like, uh, I, I tried to tell you, you know, you can't be having young children by it can't be
0: no i can't tell you how many times i mean the years we sat near him as radio you know i mean the mics would pick up things (laughs) he's intense yeah there that there is no doubt um so anything else that you guys wanted to touch on today um You know, there's lots and lots of topics we could go on for quite a while, but we suppose we need to save some material for uh, future shows. A
3: question for Adam, because he's been talking about it all year. Is anybody going to meet the Chiefs?
1: (sighs) Uh, So my – I'll tell you what. It's going to be a tough matchup tomorrow. Um, I can't imagine Buffalo being as inefficient on offense two games in a row as they were last week. I mean, they got saved by their defense last week, uh, um, you know, in, in that game. Uh, and and I, I think, Jared, I, I think uh, Josh Allen will be absolutely fantastic tomorrow. Um, I'm really kind of concerned with the Chiefs uh, where, again, they haven't won a game against the spread in September um and uh you know they got you know they they got a a miraculous performance by Chad Henney last week uh, in in that particular game uh, especially on that run for first down Um, tomorrow is going to be very close uh, for, for that game. Uh, And the other, uh, other game, I think, you know, you've got to go with the Packers. Uh, I, you know, and this, uh, honestly, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers is playing leaps and bounds above any quarterback right now that, that collapsed in terms of in the playoffs and and, and down the stretch. I think again, Josh Allen was incredible all season. Uh, I, I don't know You know, um, you know, on, uh, uh, you know, with Kansas City, their quarterback play has been, you know, very, very good, but I don't know what the injury uh, that they, you know, suffered last week, uh, where they're at. Um, And, uh, you know, and Tom Brady was terrible last week. The defense really saved the, you know, the Buccaneers. So, really, you know, you think about it, I think it will be a a Packers Chiefs Super Bowl, but I'm not going to be shocked if it's a uh, Bills. Packers Super Bowl so I I don't think Tampa Bay has any chance tomorrow so
0: Mahomes Mahomes (laughs) yeah yep and he has been cleared to play so
1: well, again, I mean, you know, that, that the whole play last week that took place, I was watching it with someone. They absolutely insisted he hit his head on the ground. I said, no, he did not hit his head on the ground. And You know, and finally, after about four replays, he it, it finally conceded. But, uh, yeah, I, I just uh, – no. So, I, it'll be interesting because, you know, it's not very clear exactly what did take place last week with Mahomes. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he plays tomorrow. So, yep.
0: Well, with that said, um, I think we're at about the point of wrapping things up. Um, So the next time that we do this, we're definitely going to have to talk about the Red Wings. Um, Any quick takes on the early start for the winged
1: wheels? It's been very interesting the game. I've watched. You see, like a good Jack on hide I mean, that first game of the season. I mean, they looked like they were skating in quicksand, and then they had a game earlier this week where they just looked just blazing fast on the ice. Then last night again, they went back to the quicksand thing, and uh, um, you know, and and really the big thing to me is the goalkeeping. I mean, the the goal the goal playing has been in my mind pretty good uh, uh, from what i've seen and it's really put them in a you know at least some sort of competitive and they need to really get their offense uh, turned up a bit
2: so
0: yeah yep yeah, no doubt about that um i know adam you wanted to mention something about bobby ryan um so he's off to a good start yeah, he hasn't he hasn't fallen apart yet so that's a, a positive no
1: no, I mean again, a good Steve Eiserman pickup, but a guy that definitely looked like he's a, a good guy for this roster, sure. And you know, Larkin being uh, made the captain, that was a decision since our last show, and so far he's been very much playing like a captain.
2: So,
3: yeah, I think the, the thing to watch, you know, is uh, are, are they? We've talked with you know all the rebuilding teams we have because we have quite a few here in Detroit right now. Do they make that that jump to kind of that middle ground, you know? Where the Tigers started to flirt with in two thousand five, are they are they making that jump this year, or are they going to live in Piston's land, yep. where it'll be it'll be great if they get to the fifteen wins,
0: or if they find well, the Fountain of Youth?
1: Well, yeah, it's gonna be uh, I, I think it'll be the the latter, not the former. So,
0: <laughs> with that said, that's gonna wrap it up. We'll be back on in a uh, a few weeks with plenty to talk about, wings, pistons, Super Bowls, all those fun things, and whatever other insanity happens in the meantime. For yep. Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium